Have you ever seen a movie or heard a story so scary that you were afraid to go to sleep at night? Where you went into your house and locked the door and you stayed awake with eyes wide open, jumping at any little sound you heard? When I had just entered college as a freshman at William & Mary, our hall decided we would have a bonding activity and go on a ghost tour. Now these are big, a big deal in Williamsburg, <clears throat> a place of much history and drama. And since I didn't believe in ghosts, I thought it would be a fun way to spend the evening. Little did I know how the stories would draw me in. And later that evening, in the dark, when we returned to our room, after hearing a particularly haunting tale of our own dormitory, no less, my roommate and I went in our room and locked the door and sat straight up in our beds staring at each other and unfortunately retelling some of the more haunting tales we had heard. We were ready for a sleepless night. It didn't help matters many hours later in the middle of the morning, the early morning, when one of her wooden dolls fell off the bookshelf and scared us half to death, and we probably woke the whole hall with our screams. This is not unlike the story we find the disciples in this week, except the terror they had experienced at the death of Jesus was all too real. Now, I'd like to take you back to that room where the disciples were meeting, and I'd like you, you to imagine yourself there with them. You have seen the man that you followed and, and given your livelihood and life to for the past three years. You've seen him arrested, brutally beaten, and killed. You run, fearing for your own life, and then face the guilt of betraying the one that you said you would follow always, even unto death. You have experienced a different kind of death as the faith you once held so strongly to was challenged and the hope that kept you going was disparaged. And now you wait, locked behind closed doors, in fear of your own people, trying to make sense of it all. Can you picture that? Into this chaos of emotion enters Jesus, the very one you've been longing for, with the unlikely words, peace be with you. Unlikely, but probably just what you need to hear. But even more so than hearing those words is seeing Jesus again, his presence with you. And Jesus realizes this, and he invites you to look at his wounds, look at his hands and feet, the very evidence that what you witnessed was real, and yet it goes beyond what you have seen. There's so much more to it, so much meaning that until now you haven't been able to grasp. Jesus was no ghost, no hallucination of hysterical people, but was the real and physical Christ raised from the dead by God. However, we learn that not all the disciples were present for this reunion. Thomas, called the twin, was told of Jesus' reappearance by the others, and he responded in a way that branded him forever as doubting Thomas. He says that he must see it for himself to believe. Thomas has gotten a bad rap, but how many of us would have responded accordingly? Frederick Beekner says that we are Thomas's other twin. We, too, need to see. We need to have something to put beyond, behind our faith. We want a world where things are proven, mysteries are solved, everything's clear and cut and dry. So I can commiserate with Thomas. And let's not also forget that earlier in John's Gospel, Thomas was the only one that really seemed to understand 
where Jesus was headed and the gravity of it when he was going back to Jerusalem. And Thomas told the other disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. So why was Thomas not there when Jesus appeared to the other disciples? Had he given up? I doubt that. The disciples knew where to find him to share the good news, so he must have still been connected. I think perhaps he was still living out his faith, waiting for what was to come. Just like the other disciples, he probably didn't understand it all, but he also wasn't let, letting fear rule his life. He didn't appear to be in hiding, and after hearing of Jesus' reappearance, he demanded the same gift that they had received, that he be allowed to witness it for himself, to see the wounds and to physically touch them, to once again see his friend Jesus. And Jesus understood that need. He came back again so that Thomas could see him, and he offered himself, saying, See, feel, touch, stop doubting, and believe. I don't think Jesus was angry or saddened by Thomas's doubt. I think he understood it, and he invited him to check out, see that this is real. Thomas discovered in this that he didn't need the proof that he demanded. Just the sight of his friend and teacher, Jesus, was enough for him to make the proclamation of Jesus the Messiah, saying, My Lord and my God. Thomas learned that belief is not really a matter of seeing. Belief, and therefore faith, transcends what can be seen. Although some would argue otherwise, faith is not a blind, unquestioning trust that leaves no room for doubt. Doubt and belief are not mutually exclusive, but exist together in a continuum where our doubts and questions can lead us to formulate our beliefs and grow stronger in our faith. Throughout our journeys of faith, we may find ourselves moving between faith and doubt and disbelief over and over again, sometimes simultaneously. Faith is not the absence of doubt, but the willingness to look beyond it and embrace something greater than we can see. Many people have said the opposite of faith is not doubt, it's certainty. And I believe that our certainties trip us up far more often than our doubts. One of my favorite passages in scripture is the story where a man is imploring Jesus to save his son. This boy has never been able to speak because he has seizures that violently throw him to the ground. The disciples had tried and failed to heal him, and so he comes to Jesus saying, if you can, Please take pity on us and do something to help us. Jesus retorts, if I can, everything is possible for him who believes. And so the man, desperately wanting for his son to be whole and well, cries out, I believe. Help my unbelief. We are all caught in a similar tension of belief and unbelief. I'm a fan of the TV show Lost about a group of people who find themselves stranded on a mysterious and magical island after a plane crash. I love how the show has evolved to show the character struggles with their own need for redemption and salvation, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. I love thinking through the theological elements of each show, and particularly there's been something set up between two characters. There's one character, John Locke, who is known as the man of faith on the island, and a doctor, Jack Shepard, who is known as the man of science. Locke, who has experienced a healing while on the island, believes in the powers of the island that go beyond what he could see. Jack Shepard, the doctor, 
trust only in what he can do with his own hands and power. So Locke, the man of faith, asked, asked Shepard, why do you find it so hard to believe? Jack Shepard answers, why do you find it so easy? Locke then sums up his faith saying, it has never been easy. For as Locke is ex- becomes expressive in his faith, we also witness his struggles with doubts when things don't go according to his plan. As a critic from Time Magazine said of Locke, he is lost man of faith, but he's not really, not entirely. He certainly has faith in the island, in the unexplained, but he also has doubt. His faith is constantly shaken and never as absolute as he wants it to be. I can relate to that. Can anyone else? Maybe you can too, and maybe you found it easy to put yourself in the place of the disciples with their fear and doubt and uncertainty following Jesus' death. Perhaps you have lived in the darkness for Lent for too long and cannot accept quite yet, not right now, the joyful message of Easter. Maybe you have lived with depression or loneliness or silence from God. You are haunted by grief and death or the fear of death. Or instead, the death of a dream has left you in mourning. Life has not turned out the way you expected. You are living in the darkness of doubt and trying to find your way back to the light of faith. Sometimes the darkness holds us for too long and we become unaccustomed to the light and lose our way. So we ask ourselves the questions, how do we find life after death? How do we embrace the idea of resurrection after the many deaths in our own lives. Focusing on the Easter story can illuminate the path for us. The story is one of hope, life, renewal, light after darkness, and literally life after death. But before we reach the light of resurrection, we wade through the dark 40 days of Lent, focusing on Christ's suffering and likewise our own. It is important for us to take the time to grieve our losses and to feel our pain of separation, understanding that we are not yet who we were created to be, and our world has fallen from God's ideal creation. We wrestle with doubt and fear, but far too often we choose to remain in the dark valley with our failures and broken dreams, forgetting that Jesus doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to see the hope that he offers just as he appeared to his disciples and offered them hope that there was life beyond death and that he had a plan for them. When we are baptized, as several were here last Sunday, we symbolically enter into Christ's death, but we don't stay there underwater. We are raised to new life, just as Christ was. And we must embrace this new life, seeking to follow Jesus with all that we have and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. When Jesus gave his spirit to the disciples, he also gave them a calling. They are not to remain in the fear and doubt, locked up as they were, but they were to continue his work. As the Father had sent Jesus into the world, Jesus was now sending his disciples to continue his work of love, forgiveness, and redemption to all of creation. And the same goes for us. We are witnesses, and we too have been sent to continue the message bringing light to a dark world, sharing the good news that Christ has arisen. We are the ones that Jesus spoke of when he said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. 
We have received the Spirit as we received our salvation, and this Spirit gives us the boldness to leave our locked-up lives of fear and embrace the true and free Spirit that Christ offers. And just as Thomas desired to touch the wounds of Jesus in order to understand truth, we too must reach out and touch the broken, to touch the hurts of others with the healing message of Christ. We are called to be the wounded healers that can be present with those who are suffering, to let them know that they are not alone because we too have been there. I'm a witness to much pain in my ministry at Hope Tree Family Services. Many of you may be familiar with it as the Virginia Baptist Children's Home, where we've been ministering to hurting kids for over 120 years and developmentally disabled adults for over a decade. I mainly work with teens that have been abandoned by all they have loved and trusted. While I try to share God's love with them, it is difficult, as many of them have built so many walls around themselves to appear tough and to keep others from getting too close so that they won't risk being hurt again. More than anything, they need to know the power of the resurrection, that they may break free from the darkness and find new life in Christ. We have all been sent as witnesses of the resurrection. Although we were not there, we have believed what we have not seen because we have witnessed the resurrections in our own lives, times when we thought we couldn't make it through, and then somehow we did, times when we felt God's presence in our life and heard his calling. We have experienced healing and salvation, and we have found hope when all seemed hopeless. We have been brought through the hurt so that we can be with those who are also searching for hope and healing. If you're looking for a way to make a difference in the lives of others, I invite you to find out more about the ministries of this church and also to learn more about Hope Tree Family Services. You may talk to me or we have a big event coming up on May 8th that I invite you all to to be a part of. But I invite you, as Christ has invited us all, to find a place where your joy and the world's deep need meet, that we can be a healing presence in our world. Finally, we realize that we are not alone. Just as the disciples shared their fear and their joy with one another, we've been blessed with many with whom we share our lives. Our church family is a gift from God, one that allows us to question, doubt, and share and grow together in faith. Friends encourage us through the rough times and celebrate with us in the good. Counselors and pastors help us to process our hurts, gain perspective, and move back to health, peace, in relationship with God. After grieving our losses, confronting our doubts, seeking Jesus, embracing our calling, and helping others through their hurts, we finally are able to grasp the truth of the resurrection, life after death. We can understand the verses, where, O death, is thy victory? Where, O death, is thy sting? Death has been swallowed up in victory. May we all find victory in the power of the resurrection, And may we work through our doubts to a stronger faith, one that sends us out to be a healing force in the world.